Our hymn of the day has a lot about manifestation that comes from Jesus, all his miracles. And of course, when you get to the end of that hymn, it talks about a lot about him manifesting in his full glory as the judge. Boy, it sounds like that a lot today from our gospel reading. It's hard to find a lot of gospel in that text. Jesus is speaking as the authority of God. And so we have to come to terms with some of the very first things he picks up on the Sermon on the Mount. And frankly, he's speaking about violence. And you know, violence is nothing new to humanity. All societies and peoples have dealt with it. The Romans, as you know, dealt with it by gladiator pits to keep the masses entertained and to kind of keep some tempers down. And for the truly hostile in that kind of a culture, they had crucifixion. We try to manage the same thing with violence in our culture. What do we do? Well, I mean, we're in the 21st century, so we've got TV, maybe, you know, video games. Uh, we enjoy our sports quite a bit. Um, and, of course, we have lots of continued debates over how to use law enforcement. Now, reflecting on this thought of violence, we have to look back at last year a little bit to the Supreme Court ruling, as you know, on abortion. And it drew out some painful truths about our civility as a society. The official LCMS winter newsletter called Free to be Faithful, you can look it up and read more if you want, but from that newsletter, it writes these words, as of November 2nd, 39 churches, 60 pro-life centers have been vandalized or firebombed, while an additional 23 incidents of bodily assault and property destruction have been reported to authorities. I didn't know about that until I read it. Of course, I'm not looking for it intently all the time, but it's not a shock that this violence has not been on the news so evidently today. But at the same time, as I was thinking about the sermon and reflecting last week, something came out from Michigan. A report of a 25-year-old man who received five years for an arson that was done on a Planned Parenthood clinic in Michigan. And his attorney noted these words, which I took personally as a pastor. You'll see why in a minute. But the attorney said about this arsony, this offense was committed impulsively after he had heard a church sermon about making a difference. In retrospect, Joshua looks at himself every day with great regret. So again, how does a pastor guard his words to make sure parishioners don't hear the wrong thing? Because I don't believe that pastor was telling him any parishioner to go out and do such harm, violence. But it should tell us something about our society. Something that's been hidden. Maybe COVID and those times of lockdown drew it out, but really it, it's much deeper than that. The fall into sin is the greatest disappointment hanging over humanity. It's about that simple. No nation or people have ever solved the curse that goes on from one generation to the next. A sinful world is angry with God 
and keeps anger burning between sinners. Christ, at his Sermon on the Mount, told those who were hearing him, who were believing in him, how they were the salt and the light of the earth. You heard that last week. It belonged, of course, that light by faith in Jesus, being the true righteousness that had to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They handled life well on the outside, but, you know, God knew, knows hearts. The first focus Jesus gives from his sermon about light shining from his church is how to handle hostility, conflict, the raging heart. Anger against God and between men is to face the message of the cross. Christ came not to abolish the law. You heard about that but finally to fulfill the law, to fulfill what God's word says, not to replace God's word. This means delving into the depths of hearts that civil lawfulness can never touch. Jesus reconciling us to God made his forgiveness foundational for our life. Not just eternity, but life together and life for the church and society. So unpacking the fifth commandment, that's all we're going to do today, is that very first statement Jesus gives about murder. And of course, you know, even the, the Jewish leaders taught this much. It wasn't good to murder people. And yet Jesus, as God, tells the truth. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. And he goes on from that and develops it more, but that's good enough. Now, God, in his anger, used prophets to call Israel back by his word of repentance. St. Paul, as an apostle, showed irritation, which is a kind of anger, to the Corinthian church. You heard him say today, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Jesus personally also, we know, turned tables over in the temple, for truly, unlike anybody else, it was his father's house. Luther tells us these very important words. Anger is indeed necessary sometimes, but only in those whose responsibility it is, and only if it does not go beyond the punishment of sin and evil. It is directed at the wrong and not at the person, and it's intended to help our neighbor. If father and mother, judge and preacher, held back their mouths and their fists and did nothing to curb or punish evil. The wickedness of the world would destroy the government and the church and everything else. Those entrusted to uphold the good God gives is very important. And so when a politician gets mad about a resolution made, they have a right to do that. 
just as with false doctrine by a pastor, and with parents. That's a daily task of how to manage true anger as a parent to say, this is not good, and yet also control that sinful nature that can go a little too far, right? But here's the thing. None of it is the foundation of forgiveness. None of it will be the confidence to live in forgiveness. None finds this reconciling work in the hearts of anybody, any person. And certainly, now we know murder shows the most grotesque hatred against another. So let's just get through that really quick, right? The merciless taking of a life goes back to Cain and Abel. You just can't ignore it. Laws ever since then now seek to restrain such murderous spirit and humanity. But Jesus knows how deep unholy anger goes. It was already there festering with Judas over Jesus' ministry before betraying him. It's evident when the Sadducees and the Pharisees planned the death of Jesus, they were going to murder him, but not by their hands, not to break the fifth commandment. They'd make sure the Gentiles would get their hands duty dirty in that process. It's this threat of anger that rages between spouses and untempered that kills their marriage. It's not surprising that during COVID, a lot of divorces happened because of anger in the home, changes of having to deal with each other finally. And maybe couples were not prepared for that. It's anger that hides in the forms that we kind of soften up on these synonyms, like resentment, frustration, bitterness, and grudges. It's contempt beyond just flesh and blood of a person, but against God and his word. Time cannot cure this kind of a darkness, and left unchecked, anger, as Luther said, only grows. Forgiveness removes anger, and only God gives it in the fullest way without disappointment. Jesus has made this good news, the lifeblood of his church. You will not get that kind of peace that pass all understanding for angry people in this world, but from his body. The foundation of forgiveness comes from the heart of God. And who else offers what Jesus gives to sinners? No one else can give it that way. He speaks the truth without restraint or fear of his own demise. Love to save the lost, the condemned, and yes, the angry Irreconcilable differences, you know what I'm saying, exist only when we stand apart from God's work by the gospel. It's not surprising for me to see so much fallout, so much demise, so much splitting apart, because we've, in many ways, are no longer even looking at the gospel and what that means. St. Paul spoke to the anger among the Corinthians 
They were falling apart. And what did he say? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. God gave the right kind of truth that would grow with love. The Corinthians did not have that. Rather than trying to control anger from lashing out, God seeks to change hate-filled hearts. This happens today, as we say very clearly as Lutherans, through the word and sacraments where Jesus' reconciling work touches our lives with his perfect sacrifice. He shows our anger is not against man, but God. Could this be why so many people simply want to believe there is no God? Without liability of judgment, you can worship hate against others. Smile, as we say, and still stab them in the back. Treat a person beneath yourself. Or even deny their existence. Like an abortion. The baptized continually crucify this kind of anger. Or we're going to perish by our own hands too. We don't pay attention to what is happening in the hearts of men. And so thank God, he does not harbor the same anger in the heart. The cross already revealed his, his wrath, and God is not, has gotten even with sinners. His full judgment of the law had its way against us, except God's judgment can't compete with his love to save. Rather than a murderous spirit, Jesus stands out to suffer and die. Instead of insults to accuse us before God, you know what Jesus says? Father, forgive them. And so in the place of hellfire, because when it says you say to someone, you're a fool, it's really what you're saying is you don't know anything. We've all said that in some way. Jesus could have said that from the cross, but he didn't. He said, forgive them. St. Paul reminds us how the light of Christ is to shine in the church. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This reconciling promise by God is the higher righteousness we have by faith in Jesus. God has laid the foundation of forgiveness among the baptized, his church. The foundation of forgiveness means reconciling love shines for each other. Don't care about the world first. Care about how this fellowship works together in truth and with love. Jesus does not wish to hide behind false worship of him without the need to forgive. And so he said, you heard it today, leave your gift at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He's talking to the church, coming to like communion. 
Jesus has paid for all things without any merit or worthiness in us. And none can disregard forgiveness that stands between those he forgives without favoritism. This is what we pray daily in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our trespasses as the church before the world and before our lives. It is the high standard held up when coming with our brothers and sisters in Christ to the Lord's Supper. Couples need to consider highly their anger in marriage when they come to communion. Or maybe they need to step back, talk to the pastor, consider what they're bringing before the Lord who brings every good for them together. You see, Jesus has a deep desire to reconcile lives, to keep things together, to restore broken relationships. He tells us to come to terms quickly, both when we sin with anger, but also to forgive the ones angry against us. Forgiveness is the preeminent mark of Christ's church. This is what we confess in the creed. We say it so simply, but it's so fundamental. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. It isn't a belief, everyone, just because I believe it's good for me so I get to go to heaven. I believe because God has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, it's good for me to live with that forgiveness toward you and to seek it from you so that anger doesn't destroy what God has given love for us all. Is it because we do it so well? Not really. Christ's Christian marriage has fallen apart, as you know, to a culture of divorce and cohabitation. And so the statistics of the culture is no different than what you see in church for that rate of divorce. Sad but true. Let alone much of forgiveness today seeks to justify false living in many ways, right? Resentment against God looks to change his holy word concerning life. We don't want to have people angry with us, so it's okay. We'll just have God's word go some other direction. Anger ends up building a love. That kind of way, it builds a love different from God's perfect love made known by the cross. What renews forgiveness has nothing to do with the heart of anyone. It is turning away from anger to believe in the heart of God for us. This is the first thing Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Because he is going to suffer and die, not just for the world, but for the sake of, of the good of his church. What, as the Lord promised Israel in the Old Testament reading, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. You've heard it said, is the phrase Jesus, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but Jesus says a lot more today, doesn't he? From his Sermon on the Mount. And first off, angry hearts are to hear that life abides in his forgiving word. The once for all sacrifice of God's son stands before the angry but Jesus lives and reigns with another answer as the risen Lord. Let's just stop and just 
reflect one more moment. What if it's not just angry anger against another? What if it's now anger against yourself? You see? What is it? Some kind of mental health thing was put out last week about children and mental health or something. But mental health and the struggles that come with that one out of like five people? They don't understand all that's going on. And so beyond just the reality of sin, they're ashamed of themselves. They're angry at why they're doing things. And you know what it leads to is murder of their own life. And so we have to be very clear about anger and how it resides in the hearts of all, even against our own hand. But Jesus lives and reigns to forgive, to set you free from yourself. He sets his deliverance front and center as the true good for his people and the glory of God's name. What man cannot reconcile, what man fails to do, God redeems and saves by his grace. Jesus reconciling us to God made the foundation of forgiveness unlike any other good. You can fight for you want, and we'll stand up for the social causes, and we'll defend the scriptures as God's word. But if you remove forgiveness, justification, the fundamental place where we are to live with that love of Jesus for us, it will fail. Forgiveness is not permission to sin or to allow false teaching but remains the foundation for everything else. It is life together for us in this troubled world, but also why everlasting life is your forgiven and redeemed, yes, by Christ alone. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding be with your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.